0: Welcome, everyone, to the Faith Recovery Podcast, where three failed pastors, Alex Blanton, Kent Hoskins, and Nathan Wilkerson, explore the process of recovering from bad ideas about God and Christianity and recovering faith in the gospel. And we have been... Telling our own stories, and we're calling them our deconstruction stories, the different ways in which each of us has deconstructed his former understanding of the gospel or the Christian life or himself. Uh, We've done a a preview of Alex and Kent, and then uh, last week we uh, heard uh, Nathan's, a somewhat more extended version of Nathan's, and uh, concluded on some interesting points, which we'll pick up later about the gospel and its role as authority for uh Christianity and the Christian life. Today we're gonna to circle back around and pick up where Alex left off uh with his. So Alex, where do you where where would you see where would you like to pick up today?
1: Yeah, Kent, thanks. Um so yeah, i had done a quick summary, I think, a podcast or two ago, just um given kind of the first part of our our journey through ministry and being um being deeply involved in the church we you know had uh been involved in church ministry doing a lot of different stuff through the years but eventually ended up uh in the, here in the northwest arkansas area as part of a church plant um and kind of as i had shared before um things changed that it ended up putting us in the position of actually being the pastors of that that church plant which was not any part of our plan um quickly kind of came to a realization that it was an ill-fitting role for me. Um, so quickly, <laughs> you know, I, I think pretty, pretty quickly um, uh, felt like we needed to do something different. We actually w- ended up walking away uh, from that church plant, working with our organization to go ahead and shut it down. Uh, it was already not successful. So it's not, um, I, you know, it's not like I had this great thing going. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the bottom line is we did walk away feeling like total failures in this whole, hey, you know, God, we, we put ourselves on the line and it felt like you didn't show up, you know, this isn't working. I think that that's kind of the genesis for everyone getting into some kind of deconstruction journey or whatever you want to call it is when, you know, we realize that our expectations and the reality of the spiritual life don't seem to line up, um. And that's not always a bad thing. <laughs> so I, I think even from that um, that that experience, we we re, were beginning to realize that a lot of uh, a lot of our prior assumptions about how how church was supposed to work, how um, our faith and our um, our spiritual life was supposed to work, was uh, really based on a lot of preconceived notions. And I'll, I'll get on, into that a little bit more. Um, but we had a had a lot more experience so kind of the other big part of our story was um, probably after about i'd say like two years post uh, being involved in this church plant um, we we had already been quite involved with a missionary organization uh, i was actually working with this mission organization full time as kind of a it technical lead and doing a lot of the kind of in-house computer work and Uh, Websites and other things like that. Um, But it had always been in my wife and I's heart to be involved in overseas missions. We've always uh, loved engaging with
0: other cultures and have done that just naturally and proactively over the years. Didn't you say that going back to, like, the early days of your marriage or maybe even before you were married, you had something about Thailand on your mind? Yeah,
1: and so that was always kind of this big thing in the, uh, the back of our mind is, you know, if, when and how you know would God open a door for us to go to Thailand um, so after this church plant kind of you know felt like it fell apart and we were left holding nothing is what it felt like, um, we had this thought begin to pop up in our minds, well, maybe this is a good time to transition and do maybe do some of this overseas living and ministry work like we had always talked about doing, so we began to explore this and uh, talk to. You know, friends of people that we had that had been over in Thailand for quite some time and uh, you know saw saw an opportunity we felt like we should pursue so uh, over the course of the next few years um, we you know began to uh, get involved in uh, the whole missionary organization side of, of things which is uh, similar to church ministry but in, in some ways can be its own unique um, little subculture (laughs) of christianity uh those of you know you know i'm talking about um and so we we began to get you know further uh ensconced in that learning uh what that looked like for our church organization uh, that we came out of um getting you know involved in the whole uh raising support which is a big part of that our organization is definitely you know one where uh, the missionaries um uh we're not given money to do this by any means they had to go out and solicit um uh funds and ongoing uh you know gifts and donations from churches and from friends and family and members which became a huge you know huge thing um i could probably do a whole podcast on that but I'm not <laughs> i don't have
0: experience I, with support raising yeah, yeah. um uh,
1: but uh i I won't get into that this isn't the the podcast for that obviously um but Um, It it, it becomes a consuming lifestyle, uh, similar to uh, doing pastoral ministry, very much so, um, because your life is completely dependent on on what you're doing. So um, bottom line, we uh, went over to uh, Thailand, lived in Bangkok for three years with our family and three kids. and it was simultaneously one of the most amazing experiences and one of the most painful and difficult times of our lives. Um, uh, we absolutely love Thailand, we love the people we enjoy the culture very much and we still have um, we still have friends from that time that you know feels like we will always know them when we can always talk to them so um, that's a wonderful gift at the same time, I think our you know, our frustration and disillusionment with ministry in general and, and certainly with both our denomination and just ha- approaching our, our faith in a way that we became workers, you know, workers of the gospel or workers of the kingdom. And it just felt, um, ultimately felt really false to us. Like we were trying to conform to a standard. That didn't really align with who we were and who we thought God was asking us to be. And so, similar to church ministry, we I think we found in kind of the mission ministry um, this overlay of uh, conformity that uh, we were part of a um, an institution. and by this, I mean not kind of the organic body of Christ, the people that you know and you relate to and get connected with naturally, but A formal entity or formal body that was operating, um, operating with a specific license to um, grow and expand its own version of itself, and so um, I think you were
0: workers for that institution.
1: Yeah, so we were workers for the institution, and ultimately, what we we found in both the church planning experience and in our in our kind of overseas missions experience is that. Um The thing that we came in conflict with of, often was this sense that we had to um, perform or work to conform to uh, the, the standards that this institution was asking us to, and putting a lot of things that we felt were our own personal values and integrity on the line. Now, you know from somebody that might look externally at some of the things that we faced, it might not make any sense, but um, I think one of the big things that we came, came to think about is that the relationships we were forced to have with a lot of the people in our organization, they weren't healthy relationships. You know, if you were to say, um, you know, if this was a family and we were trying to relate to these people as actual brothers and sisters, which is what I see in the Bible, you know, what the, you know, Jesus is talking about, then these aren't healthy relationships we're having. Um, there was a lot of manipulation, a lot of fear tactics. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of conversations about uh, uh, performing to benefit the institution over um, the benefit of, of actual people, like our family. Um, I, I was asked to do do things that would would be great for helping maybe the church or the you know the organization that we were a part of. Um, as a whole, but um, required some real uh, personal sacrifices that would have um, hurt our family in in meaningful ways to the point that, you know, both both my wife and I, you know, we really felt a conflict that, hey, what we're being asked to do is not is not good for our family and our family needs to come first. And so, so ha- having to deal with some of those things um, really kind of cha- began to change my perspective on what what does it mean for uh, the people of God to, to be the family of God, and to actually talk and think of that in a relational matrix rather than just this um, cute aphorism or something like, oh, well, we call ourselves... The family of God. We're like a family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, but when it gets to the bottom line, the institution comes first. Or we talk about we're building a kingdom. You know, we're building God's kingdom by uh, you know the ministry work we're doing or the mission areas we send overseas. Um, but what we're actually growing is is our kingdom and our our power the and
0: earthly our, institution yeah, the earthly
1: institution, because um because that gives us more power, more authority, more control, um but if that's at the expense of the the real relationships that you know I see the gospel and see see Jesus um creating, then ultimately I feel like we've failed, and so. Um, so there's a lot that goes into that but um that that was kind of the genesis of our story ultimately we we decided to come back from the united states uh we had had some very serious uh health uh issues that were a part of that We needed to come back and actually get hospitalized have some surgeries and some some things like that but it was it was um definitely a not just a return to America but a stepping away from both uh what we felt was um, our formal ministry history, leaving our um, our our organization, our institution that we had been part of for ministry, and kind of felt like just walking away from it all. Um, from the institutional fr- church. From the institutional church for ministry, and almost, I would say, almost from Christianity as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, there, was, there was a tinge to that, but I wasn't done talking to God, and in the back of my mind, I was still trying to search for and understand who who is this jesus because it didn't seem like <laughs> this lined up with the jesus that i i i see and i i instinctively knew through my uh experience of growing up uh you know as a christian it was like i was still missing something and so uh i think this threw us further into the deconstruction process of like i gotta strip away all this stuff because I don't feel like I'm getting any closer to Jesus and being like him. That's all I really want, you know. And so, um, so yeah, so coming back from that, uh, you know, it, it, was a, it, was, it was leaving a lot of things. And so that was simultaneously painful and, and freeing. And that's kind of been, you know, for the last number of years now, uh, the, where we've been at and kind of what we've been working through.
0: Disillusioned by church ministry, then disillusioned by missions ministry specifically and so disillusioned by the institutional church disillusioned by institutional missions or the international the you know, extension of, of the institution finally coming to the uh, to a de, to a decision point turning away from that uh, more decisively and sort of walking away from institutional christianity and so that brings you back to the u.s What's going on since then?
1: Yeah, so what's gone on since then is, um, you know, I, I think coming back, we, we definitely had this sense that our, you know, our identity was very much wrapped up in our uh, personal involvement in, you know, both church ministry and, and the overseas missions. And suddenly we had we had all that stripped away. We, ha- we had, like, a foretaste of that when we shut down the church plant. Uh, that was stripped away to a point, but I think there was still this identity and this, um, honestly, this kind of selfish need or desire, you know, to make something of myself in in the the Christian ministry context or within the church, and that um, you know going the next level was doing missions, especially in our organization. You know, the only thing that was more um, viewed upon as being you know spiritual, you know then a pastor or a church planner was actually going to receive be being a missionary. That was almost like, you know, super status
2: as a Christian.
1: And, you know, I, I think we, we told ourselves we weren't into playing that game, but looking back, I I can see how very much that was a, uh, a motivation um, to kind of stoke my own ego and my own... Uh, You know, a sense of self-importance that I would gain, um, acceptance, that I'd be viewed upon favorably by, by my community, the Christian community that I was a part of, a lot of those friends and relationships, and ultimately the institution that powered everything behind that, that if I, you know, had that status, then, you know, I would be receiving a lot of approval, a lot of attention, and, um, you know then I would have have arrived at some point ultimately you know I feel like that was hollow mm-hmm. you know, that wasn't there was nothing there you know we we, we got to that status and there was nothing nothing there to be had mm-hmm. in that sense mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. well I think it <clears throat> for people who've been on the on the inside in, in church ministry or you know doing mission work, you begin to see these dynamics. At play, you know, and, and so in deconstructing, and you can say, well, the the problem there is, you know, where where these dynamics, these interpersonal dynamics, were the problem, and I, you know, I wonder if people who are church members, you can say rank and file, grown up in church, maybe, and and they they've identified with church leaders and others that are in on staff, um, and they begin to discover that, you know, the emperor has no clothes, uh, that, you know, I think we tend to put missionaries and people in church ministry up on a pedestal, people do, and then they begin to discover maybe inconsistencies in that person's life, or even something as simple as, as an easy answer to a difficult question can begin to discredit church leadership, you know, and so... Really, kind of this institutional drive you're talking about, Alex. Is um, I I think it's it's more dangerous than even what it does to people in leadership. I mean, once you get into leadership, there's a degree to which somebody has to either formally or informally have a conversation with you and say, "Look, playtime's over." You know, I mean it, it. Uh, all that stuff about faith and grace and stuff, we still believe it, but also this is business. And you begin to get this sense that things have to get done, and things get done reliably in a certain way. And those ways don't always line up with at least this intuitive sense we have. You read about, as you were talking about, Alex, the life of Jesus. He's so anti-establishment that he seems impractical, really, you know, when it gets down to just getting things done. I mean, you know, Dostoevsky and the Grand Inquisitor and the brothers Karamazov, you know, this guy's just about getting things done, and Jesus comes and the Grand Inquisitor has him imprisoned because he's he's messing everything up, you know, and I mean, there's a degree to which we want to serve Christ and we want to see good things happen, and sometimes uh, the ends have to justify the means and and I say all that to say that what happens, I think, unfortunately, for people who haven't maybe been on a church staff or part of a missionary team full-time, um, they begin to think that this these mixed motives and that these methods and all of this are endemic to the gospel, that the Christianity is not tenable because, you know, their leaders have these feet of clay. And so... You know, if these people who devoted all their time to studying the Bible and are supposed to be leading the rest of us can't bear the weight of this message that they say that they believe, then is it yeah. even believable?
1: Yeah, I, I think that I was a big part of the inner conflict, especially, you know, for me in, in Thailand, that invariably, um, as I would seek, you know, really seek and pray uh you know, for the needs of the of the people, you know, that we were surrounded by in Thailand, the needs that were so obvious in many, you know, within you know the city and and the the culture there, that um, the direction I felt like, you know, God's heart was moving, and invariably came up against the walls of the institution, and so um, I remember uh, one time being uh, on my way to the you know the, the English clinic where we would teach English to you know college students and um, you know I was in a rush because I had to get there to teach this class which was good it was necessary is what I was supposed to do but as I was kind of crossing the fr- footbridge over the road to get to the university um, there there was a lady there just begging on the side of the footbridge which you see you know a Million times every day, in you know, in a place like Thailand. But for some reason, I just looked at her, and she looked at me. and It's like we made our eyes made contact, and all of a sudden, something just like hit my heart. And it was like um, Mother Teresa when she, she talks about Jesus in his troubling disguise. Um, that I saw something in that lady of the nature of of who God is, and the compassion, the heart of God in the person of Jesus Christ. It was like all of a sudden Jesus was staring back at me through (laughs) through her eyes. It was intense. You know, so intense that even though I was in a rush, you know, I I took maybe, you know, 10 steps past her and just stopped on the footbridge because I felt like, you know, somebody had, had punched me in the gut. And I remember standing there being just like, what was that? And it was like God had stopped me and said, This is what I care about, you know while you're busy going around doing your business and your things you know for um for the church or for your ministry or any of this other stuff i'm 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 sitting right here with this woman on the footbridge, you know what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> and that's you know, clearly it stuck with me and it still does that suddenly I felt like I was I was going about all the wrong things and that I didn't have time enough to stop and just, you know, sit with somebody on the footbridge and to really understand, you know, their pain and their situation. And I think that was, you know, at the heart of some of the frustration there that I began to realize that there was um, a relational dynamic happening um in places and with people that weren't part of what I was doing within, you know, formal church ministry and that God was there doing something and I was too busy to be and too busy and too self-important to stop and see it or even do something about it.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I, I hate to say it but it sounds a bit like the uh, good samaritan Parable, you know. I mean, both of the guys that in Jesus' parable uh, about the good Samaritan, and, and here's this guy that's been attacked and laying on the side of the road, and both of the people who cross over on the other side are part of the institutional religious leadership. You know, it's a priest and a Levite who walk by, and so you know what we discover in these in these things. Uh, yeah, it's like yes, fire. I, I think is a committed Christian, a serious Christian, and you read the Gospels, and, you know, there's almost this hero worship or whatever, you know, you you really want to emulate that and aspire to it, you want to walk into that experience, and um, and then you find yourself on the side of of those bad examples, you know, um, because it just seems that it's so easy for all of those very sincere or you know if not holy uh, motives to be co-opted by practical realities and say you know it's just not it's not feasible it's not realistic or we can get more done if we will follow a a program or protocol and um, and then we discover that we're more like the priest and the levite than we are like the samaritan even as we're trying to live out yeah. that book itself, you know. So Alex, uh,
0: you know, having reflected on that and experienced that, uh, uh, at this point in your deconstruction process, where does that leave you? It sounds like you're saying you sort of decisively finally walked away from um, institutional Christianity, and you're now on, on an exploration of what yeah. it looks like to live Relationally in the kingdom of God, and not be encumbered by those um, trappings of the institution. Is that yeah. right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that that experience on the footbridge with the woman and, and several others, you know, uh, kind of continued to awaken me to the relational reality that God was connecting and and touching people, um, and it had nothing to do with my. my organization or my ministry, and I was missing out. Um, And so this shift was from, a, I think, kind of an institutional Christianity to searching for a relational Christianity, whatever that looked like. Um, And so coming back to the United States uh, was both necessary and extremely difficult. You know, we dealt with kind of the reverse culture shock of being in a completely different, uh culture and society and way of thinking and coming back to the united states and i think it just kind of further uh expanded um my understanding of how much our culture is enmeshed in not just institutional christianity but a a kind of uh, christianity that's only very specific to um Maybe the United States, or even parts of the United States,
0: like our civil religion that we have. Here. Yeah,
1: so very much the civil religion that we would have. So coming back to the South, especially, you know, walking into a restaurant and they're they're playing uh, you know elevator versions of worship songs, it was it was disorienting to us, and it it was really kind of weird, you know. It was like all of a sudden I, we were seeing this stuff with different eyes and saying like, what is this, you know what? You know, what what does this actually accomplish? Um so I think it began to give us the viewpoint of uh, a little more of outsiders. We'd always been insiders in the church and coming back and having uh, left a lot at the doorstep really, uh, coming out of the United States, uh, a lot of things just started seeming, you know, weird to us and we began to question why why do we do these things this way in the church in the United States? Um and so uh I think with that um you know this, this whole idea of institutions uh, w- you know we we had come to realize that you know w- within the church um but with really within any human institution, institutions exist to uh, put up definitions, rules, and guidelines for how we relate to each other um but it's really. C- kind of the the way humans, (laughs) the way that we we define that in order to protect ourselves. And a lot of times that means protecting the leaders and the powers of the institution itself. And realizing that uh, a lot of time our church, our churches uh, with the United States had more to do with institution than it did uh, relational dynamics. And so... Uh, coming back, looking at that um, from the you know, experience that we went through, I was very much um, wanting to deconstruct from the, those things and get to you know get to this point that um, we were able to relate with people without um, having to have uh, inst- you know institutional guidelines that we could uh, seek you know a spiritual connection with people, uh, have the common thread of, of of you know our faith in, in Jesus. Um, but uh, to explore that without uh, maybe may some of the things that we've had experienced in the
0: past. Okay, so picking up on some comments that you're making, Alex, and I think some uh, that you made, Nathan, I'd like to ask a general question: Is the problem that is the is, it, is the problem with um, that our institutions are unhealthy, or is the problem that we have institutions?
2: Yeah. I, I I think it's both and neither. Um, I I'm glad there are corporations, hospitals, and governments in the world. I think they mitigate a lot of suffering. They facilitate a lot of potential. I just don't think that the church can operate that way or can benefit from those same approaches that if the gospel is true, then there is that we live in a in a time of uh, transition, if you will. Um, that that there is a system of getting things done, a social system in place, and it's it's neither good nor bad. The social system um it's it's just how things get done it's just how things are i mean gravity is neither good nor bad uh it you know i mean it's probably mostly good unless you've fallen off of a you know a precipice or something um then it's bad and fire is neither good nor bad water is neither good nor bad but all of these things can kill you and i think that uh that the gospel call is So much more radical than most people know that it is not a call to um, to clean up our moral um, approach or standard, and 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 I think that uh, that we we're so far from really understanding what the gospel calls us to do and how radical the gospel is that um, we without flinching, without hesitating, use the very things that Jesus saved us from uh, to try to accomplish what we think he wants us to do. Um, so,
0: so, we, so, uh, so we, and I think what you mean is we uh, use, Jesus saved us from conformity, and then we go and use conformity. Or right. manipulation. He saved us from manipulation, and now we then we go and use manipulation.
2: Yes, yes, and I think everybody that's been um, on a church staff in America, at least, can um, think of instances where that has been the case. Um, and and I think that it's just you know, and I was just going back through. I was going back through Galatians in and, and writing this little article, and. Um, you know, when Paul said in, in Galatians 1-4 that Christ died to save us from this present evil age, and, you know, we are heirs of revivalist religion in America, you know, Brush Arbor and um, the sadly named Crusades, um, and, and the approach to the gospel, even in, say, campus ministries and other things, tracts, is always um, to be forgiven, to be uh, justified, to somehow be accepted by God so that a person might um, make it to heaven someday and, and probably not much more than that um, and that's that's almost not even the the very surface of what the gospel was is I think the early proclaimers of it talked about, that this idea of being saved, uh, that God was going to judge society, and that in order to be saved, you had to get out of society. You had to join a counterculture, or you would be swept away in the drift of culture uh, that you're in. And unless you are snatched out of that drift, then you're going over the falls. Um, and and so uh, these sorts of uh, of interpersonal dynamics, you know, you think about things like, you know, Nazi Germany or Stalinist Russia and other things. I mean, how can humans be capable of such dire evil? You know, is it is it the mentality? I mean, in in um, Nazism and socialism, what you have are, are two diametrically opposed political viewpoints, and they're both capable of. of you know, genocide at similar levels. How does that happen? And I, I think the common thread is this thing I, I would call the elementary principles of the world, uh, that there are principles that that bring people into line and into conformity, principles like authority and Stanley Milgram's studies on uh, compliance and obedience where people, uh, you know, 70% of everybody in the study was willing to administer what they believed were lethal shocks to a stranger at simply the behest of a person in a lab coat. That there's there's something almost irresistible um, about that immutable kind of principles that that people are all animated by, and they don't even know it. Uh, and so, even if you defy authority, you end up in a counterculture, <laughs> and then you conform you, you to conform that. to that, and it, it, you know, appoints its own unquestioned leaders, and then you just end up with the same thing again. It just it doesn't seem like no matter what bucket you jump out of, you end up in it again. And the thing that the gospel, I think, calls us to, uh, the reason that we fall into this is because these principles work. We can count on them. They're predictable. The reason churches they get people to do use things. that, yes. And if you get people to do things, you can get things done. It, it, you know, you need numbers to to get things done. At least that's our thinking. That's the Babylonian mindset. Uh, that's why God dispelled everybody at the Tower of Babel. It wasn't like He was so worried that they were challenging His sovereignty. It's just that once we start counting on strength and numbers, we've already abandoned this enterprise of godliness Um, we just don't know it yet and 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 so christ comes and he builds nothing writes nothing establishes nothing and at the height of his popularity is discredited and executed so let's turn that into a leadership seminar and hold a conference (laughs)
1: <laughs> well I I think you, you hit on kind of the heart of the um the problem with institutionalism and in, and in the church specifically. At least at least for me, I, I would um at this point go so far as to say that uh what the church truly is meant to be and institutions cannot coexist. Um they will always come into conflict with each other because institutions um, are 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 structures that manage and dictate what our relationships look like. And I, I, I'm i convinced that what Jesus was establishing and does establish within um, the believers is a structure that is based not on institution, not on institutional guidelines or rules, but based on the gospel and who Christ is and how he modeled that is very clear to me that that is the dictates of what it looks like for us to relate to each other as brothers and sisters and followers in Christ and so invariably it seems like there's this conflict between um, we as humans have created this you know structure for um, uh, dictating how we should relate to one another Um, but that comes in place of what God or what Christ has already given us to to show us how to relate to each other in in, in a healthy way. And so that's how we end up having, you know, these ministries or these church structures that um, can justify using a manipulation or fear or control tactics in order to protect, you know, a, a group of people, but it's at the expense of the individual. Yeah, and, and so um,
0: Mark famous. Yeah. Mark Driscoll was a megachurch pastor. For any of our listeners who don't know, I guess he still is a megachurch pastor. He just started a new megachurch. Um, after his old one um, came to a swift demise, uh, and he's famous for saying, uh, the bodies piled up behind the Mars Hill bus are many. The pile is high, and there'll be many more before we're done. And he was making this arrogant statement about how we're moving forward. We're getting things done in the kingdom of God. And uh, if you're not on the bus, then you're gonna get run over by the bus. Uh, and he was defending this um, as justification for the, mission, and, and the The accomplishing of the mission is more important than
2: the various people who, get, who are getting hurt along the way. Sure, I mean, I, I think that the relational um, loss, the, the, the undermining and the corrupting of of just a very pure relational connection is, is certainly a lamentable feature of institutions. But ultimately, when we have an institution, um, we are we are giving life to something that um, doesn't necessarily have a lifespan built in, and it wants to survive. Uh, whatever the mission statement on a letterhead of, of any organization. What's in very, very fine print at the bottom is survive. And so, and institutions, unlike most organic life, um, they don't have a lifespan and they don't necessarily uh, desire to um, reproduce in in the sense of giving birth to to independent other things, and um, that they continue to grow. They just they have to grow to live. and so you what every institution becomes is um, just this amoral entity with an insatiable hunger. Once that happens, uh, once that thing exists, it's very hard to refuse its demands. Um, and and oftentimes sadly for for blood uh for for just sacrifice and uh the more uh, what's what's sad about it is is that the more noble the stated purpose of the institution, the more easily we can justify sacrificing people to it uh it really does become uh an alternative god, a pagan god yeah. and that's it's it's a scary thing, especially when we call it a church and you know we we come up with a logo that integrates the cross somehow and we say this is this is for Jesus who died for us we will kill you for the sake of the son of god who died for us is it you know it's amazing that we can't oftentimes and by we i definitely include myself um as someone who's been on a church staff uh, you know that that we can see the inconsistency
1: there. Yeah, yeah, yeah and I'm thinking of, of specific examples, um, things we know is coming back to America that we say and do every day in, in churches. So, um, every every church service I've, I've ever been to, uh, there there's a point where one or two things are are put out there as if it's part of the gospel. One, one is that uh, we need to be giving to the church, and by that I mean financially giving. Um, that this is a spiritual principle um, that we all need to follow and if you're not giving to the church then you're you're not growing um, the other is that you need to serve you need to serve in the church that means uh, spending time uh, doing things to keep the church service going teaching in classes helping out and well you know on the on the surface those those things are great, and we all need those things. We need to be learning to help each other. We need to be learning to be generous in giving. Those things are true to the nature of who we are as as believers and as family. Uh, institutions take those things and turn them into um, uh, you know, a- another way of keeping this this bigger thing alive at the expense of, of, of who, who we are and what we're actually doing. We can do those things, but the institution needs us to do those things or else it no longer exists. And so I think that puts in puts in an inherent conflict in how we um how are we going to relate to one another if we don't have have these things in place. So there's a pressure there to, you know, to have
2: to give, to have to serve, and we talk about that all the time. Well, and it's um and, and all parties are complicit you know uh, the the institution insinuates itself between human beings so let's say Sarah has a need and Bill has resources um, but Sarah Sarah's need is bigger than not what Bill has to give but what Bill wants to give thankfully Bill can budget 10% of his income, or in America, I guess, 3% of his income, to um, to give on a regular basis. Sarah doesn't have to come humbly to Bill and say, will you give me what is yours? She can go to the church office and uh, um, fill out a form. Remain anonymous, so to speak. Well, at least to Bill. Mm-hmm. I mean, who you know let's say, Mary, who's working at the desk, knows, but, you know, Mary has been told by Sam, the senior pastor, that church members who come in for benevolence can have up to $300. So, Sarah comes in, she says, well, I, you know, I, my electricity is going to be cut off, and I'm a single mom, and I've got three kids, and, you know, I go to the church, and all that, and, of course, she has to tell Mary she goes to the church because Mary didn't know that already uh, because, you know, they just haven't met yet. and and But Mary believes her and has been given permission to give up the $300, and she writes a check that it's not her money, and Sarah never has the opportunity to be truly grateful for somebody else's generosity, and Bill never has the opportunity to truly um you know be involved and to share Sarah's burden um he has he he's rather than sharing Sarah's burden he has given by rote to the institution and by extension to God as the institution frames it to him so Sarah and Bill are are partitioned from one another, and the church gains this role, this essential role as mediator between the two of them. But they're also insulated from one another in that the pain and suffering of that relationship is mitigated by the institution, that that, there's, that relationships, especially in the church, I think, because Christ is expecting something that is, is just... Um, It's probably too much to ask if it weren't for the fact that he gives us the grace to do it. And that is that we somehow become family with people with very different backgrounds than, you know, who we are. But, you know, the the church allows everybody to, everybody who has means to give within a comfortable level and everybody who has a need to request without become, without the humility, the the humiliation of that, so there's this sanitization that's also yeah. sterile. Um, I,
1: I, and I think you hit the nail on the head, head for me there, is that in that example, um, you know, everyone was able to check a box. Everyone got what they needed. They they did the good deed. Uh, they got the money that they needed to keep the lights on, uh, you
0: know. They gave like they wanted to give so they feel yeah,
1: better. Yeah, the, so the institution succeeded in checking the boxes. Um, but uh, there were no relationships involved in this transaction and institutions are inherently transactionally based and even if we look at how we talk about the gospel especially in the United States it's often very transactionally based affair if you say this prayer then you'll get you know you'll get your stamp to go to heaven Um, but that's not what I see you know Christ modeling or within the gospel it is very much relational and when we remove relationships from the equation we lose all the benefit of what what Christ is doing within that context um, to the point that you know something I, I continue to have go through my mind is that everything that is truly spiritual like within the context of Christ and the kingdom of God is by nature relational. Um, if we look how Christ worked and actually ministered with people, it was always relational, and he was always um, pushing back against this institutionalism that would uh, inherently disconnect people from having that one-on-one relationship that to like actually know each other and to give to each other and become a replacement for, um, for that dynamic. And so, yeah, I think that's a great example.
2: Yeah, I mean, to amend what I said earlier, you know, Jesus came and he didn't build anything or write anything or establish anything. That's not entirely correct. He did build a community. Yeah.
0: Yeah, he built in, and yeah, as you said that, uh, I thought he built into those people. He invested in those people. Mhm. Um, and here we are today. Um, so he clearly did build something.
2: Yeah, and and I think that to accept this different economy, this one that, you know, values relationship or at least allows relationship, because, it, you know, it's not just the institution. The, the institution is, is the context for these dynamics of interpersonal control, um, but interpersonal control is, um, is the fallenness, and I think the thing that we've had to repent of, it's, it's that nugget of, of what's broken and what Christ came to save us from, you know. And so it can even happen, say, in a marriage, as, you know, maybe a husband will get something for his wife, not because he loves her, but because he knows that she's going to make his life miserable for the next week, you know. And so there's there's a coercive, um, you know, and a, and a conciliatory element to that relationship, and that's broken. Um, and I just think institutions kind of codify that brokenness and expand it and um, intensify it. But, um, you know, it's there at every level of our existence. Um, And the only way to not participate in that is to believe that there's, that we have a relationship with somebody who does not employ any of those tactics and And that and that we can count on that relationship, and that because we can count on that relationship, we no longer have need to employ those tactics. And so everything that we do that is motivated by that sort of self-emptying love must be done by faith in that being, you know, and everything that's not motivated by that faith Paul says is sin so it just you know the institution it's like well we can get out of the institution and still find ourselves in these unhealthy yeah. power dynamics because we thought that the institution was the problem Institution, the fact that we can make a, re- a Christian institution means that we don't understand the problem you know it's like let's turn these power dynamics into something that can really get stuff done and, and that's Obviously, we don't understand just what we've repented of. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of my...
1: Well, and and once again, I think this gets to the heart of what um, many of our listeners, many, uh, you know, believers are wrestling with this deconstruction of how how did we end up with a a Christianity and with Christians that... um, don't look anything like Jesus? How do we end up with a Christianity that's not Christ-like? How did we end up with a message that doesn't look like the gospel? You know, and so um, there, there's this inherent conflict, this cognitive dissonance that everyone's experiencing because things have just gotten to such a feverish pitch now within um, you know, within society and social media and the news outlets and everything. We can't ignore it anymore. And people are... Um, you know, digging their heels and saying this, I I can't do this anymore. There's there's something wrong here. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, stay tuned next time where Kent will pick up with his. And this was an uh, also another conversation. I, I think that we're going to have be having again about institutions. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening, everyone.
1: Uh-huh.